Hey, Bron. It is great to have you on the Above Board podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks, Paul, and thank you for having me on. Jack and I have been using FastMail uh, since we started Fathom and even before that. So it's great to have a conversation with somebody who is also so invested in digital privacy. Let's get into let's get into some questions. I guess the first thing that I'm curious about is why do you think digital privacy is important in, in general, in a general sense? Well, I think the question's more the uh, the more general question: Why is privacy important to people? Um, and a quick look back through history will show how dangerous it is for the state to know everything about everybody, um, for those in power to to be able to control everybody. So a lot of it comes down to that. And those in power are not necessarily a country or a state as such. But if you know everything about somebody, it's a lot easier to control them. And in the case where private companies know everything about you, they can build targeted marketing, which uh, behaves a lot like phishing, but it has a veneer of respectability above it that uh, they, <laughs> they are, are sending you something that is targeted and customized to make you behave in a way that you wouldn't choose to of your own free will. So, yeah, information asymmetry. It, it leads to you being controlled, whether it's a political campaign that knows your personal hot buttons or a blackmailer who knows your darkest secrets. I'm glad you brought this up. So I talk about this with my wife a lot and she talks about the idea of if we were to surveil people for a particular good. So for example, children being trafficked, that kind of thing. Um, should we surveil everyone? But even if you trust your government, imagine having all that information controlled by private party. I mean, we do with Facebook for a lot of it, but they know everything about you and they can just, as you say, control you and do various other things. Yeah, and, and it will always be for the for the the best of reasons, right? Everyone believes they're doing <laughs> yes. they're doing good as they as they force you to behave in a way that matches their values rather than your own. And even if you trusted the people in control of it, it eventually will get breached and then your data's out there. Even if we agree to having everything about us tracked, you know, someone will get hold of it and before you know it, <laughs> that's gonna be fun. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. We don't talk about that enough. So I think that's a very good point. Yes, we're going to get straight into politics right away, aren't we? The whole idea that we, you, <laughs> you, you, want, you want a government where if it was controlled by the people who disagree with you, you still <laughs> have a life you can live. Yeah, yeah. No, we get political sometimes on the podcast. Not too much, but we do. I think this is a good point, though. Yeah, any party, they still have that data. They can use it for your, for your greater good. And mm. uh, Yeah, no, it's best to keep it in your hands. Don't, don't want to have it all collected uh, just because you like the people who are currently doing the collecting. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about Fastmail then. Did Fastmail kick off because you were seeing what Google did or what's the story behind starting it? So I didn't actually start Fastmail. I joined in 2004, but Fastmail was founded right back in 1999 when it was Jeremy Howard and Rob Mueller at the time. Rob's still involved. I don't know if you, you know of what Jeremy's doing, but he's very involved in the artificial intelligence world these days. He, he moved, on, moved on from Fastmail. Uh, back in 2010 when we sold the company to Opera Software. Well, they sold the company to Opera Software. I wasn't an owner at the time. I was a lowly employee. Um, but in 2013, Opera sold the company back to us. They had been, they'd bought us because they were planning to add email to the social network they were going to build called browse.me. 
I still have a browse.me t-shirt, um, <laughs> but it, it never launched. Um, and they changed direction, became more focused on the advertising side of their business, which didn't fit well with our customers who are quite allergic to advertising. <laughs> um, so they sold the company back to us in 2013. Um, Wait, so hold on a minute. So 1999, it was founded. Opera yep. bought it. When did Opera buy it? Uh, 2010. And then who bought it back? Four of the star six staff. Um, oh, wow. So Rob, who was one of the original founders, uh, was one of the, the four of us. And the other three were Richard, who'd been around since 2003. He'd started before I had. And Neil, who, <laughs> whether you, you look at it, whether he started before me or not, he was uh, still a student in high school when he he was involved in our forums and said, I could make that website look better than it does now. <laughs> uh, Rob said, oh, show me. And so he did and got contracting work with us and, and worked as a contractor on and off uh, through university until in 2010, he was hired directly by Opera to work with us um, and then moved to Australia and, and stayed with Fastmail. I love that. I, well, no, it was, it, I, can, I can improve your website. Go on then, prove it. Okay, here you go. And then yep. you got hired. That's amazing. That's how our support team was started too. Someone who was active on our forums and we're like, would you like to be paid to do this? And it all grew from there. It's a good lesson in providing value constantly because you never mm. know what opportunities will come out of that value you're providing. Yeah, totally. 1999. Okay, so you bought it back. So are, you fully, are you fully independent now? Yes. Yeah. We, we, um, in 2015, uh, we purchased PeerBox.com or IC Group as they were. So we now have a Philadelphia office as well, and we have the Perbox product as well as Fastmail and Topicbox, which is something that we built together with the team there and, and is part of the, the new company's stuff. And, and Topicbox is more a, we call it the electronic memory for your teams. It's mailing lists complete with search and a nice interface and, and something that you can send all your email into so it doesn't get lost when individual people leave. Okay, so 2013, there's still a lot of competition. There's even more competition. What drove you to say, yes, let's buy it back and let's go? Uh, we really enjoyed working on it and we, we loved the company and thought it had a future. And Great reason. given that Opera didn't want to keep doing email, it was, it was that or shut it down. Was there always a focus on privacy? Was that something that happened when you bought the company back? Um, so how did that kind of come up? The goal was just creating a good email service so serious people could get work done over email. Mm. Uh, that, that kind of thing didn't exist at the time. So, yeah, the focus on digital privacy came about because we're pretty passionate about the digital security and about simplicity. And uh, so digital advertising injected massive security concerns that if you're allowing random things to be injected into your page, even just plain text, we were discovering that that some pretty horrible stuff came through. We we offered a free product at the start, um, and it was the advertising we had was a tagline in your signature had to advertise fast mail and tell other people to come and oh. get their email over here. Yeah. Um, but we were also going to try and monetize the interface by having just a plain text ad show when people logged in, so that the, we'd get paid something in exchange for their account. Um, mm. This is back in the fairly early days of digital advertising. But even there, through a fairly reputable ad broker, we would find totally inappropriate stuff coming through that we had requested yeah. that we didn't get. And it's just, it's a pretty slimy business. And 
we didn't want to be involved in it, so we shut down the free accounts. We decided that not enough of them were converting to be paid accounts, and we preferred to have a business model where people pay us for the service and we can focus on providing them the best possible email service rather than on trying <laughs> focusing our energy on trying to monetize their time. Yeah, so we found the same. I think it's hard when you run a, a self-funded business to make um, free forever plans mm. work. I'm, I'm I'm sure you can, but it is it is quite difficult, and it is it does seem. And Jack and I've talked about this a lot on the show, but it does seem like there are very different business models where you can do a business model where it relies on advertising revenue, or you can do a business model where you just charge people for the thing that you built for them to use. Right. And it seems like you then shifted from the, the dipping your toes in the advertising world to just, hey, but we just charge people for this email product. And then how did, so how did that work once that kind of happened? Uh, pretty well. Uh, we, our growth actually improved quite a lot through there, partly because we improved our interface a bunch um, and partly because it, it allowed us to focus more. I guess another thing with free people is that you don't value something that you get for free. Uh, yeah. And, Email is, compared to a lot of other products, email doesn't just stand alone. Email only matters if you're sending and receiving emails. And if you're sending emails, then you're sending them to the rest of the world and deliverability becomes a real thing. Email deliverability is all about trust and having the free accounts damages the reputation of the emails coming from our paying customers. We'll get listed as a free provider at a lot of sites, which will lower our metrics for deliverability sites are less likely to trust emails coming from a free provider because uh, <laughs> it's much easier for the spammers to sign up an account and, and use it. So yeah, yeah we, we weren't that damage to our reputation was also something we weren't willing to, to keep have keep having in exchange for potentially being able to put some ads in front of people. Yeah. It reminds me of free webs. You remember free webs? You'd see websites uh, on that. That was a long time ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, free webs, but um, people would have free webs websites and you wouldn't trust it as much because it's a free service. So that's a very good point. And we found with lower paying customers, they also, they also require more support. How did yep. you find it with free customers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the entitlement is just the same <laughs> uh, to, to support and also demands that we build a feature exactly how they want. Um, came more from the, the free and low, lower paying customers because they, they don't understand the value trade off there. Um, yeah. if, you're, if you're paying us five, ten dollars a year, there's very little that we can do before we've spent that. Um, obviously the, the higher price things, but we don't want to be at the other end of that either, where we have one customer who's paying half a million, million dollars for a large block of service because then they have a lot more control over our roadmap yeah. and, and where we're going. Then it feels like, yeah, it feels like you're providing a service <laughs> to that one client as opposed to um, customers. Yeah. We feel the same way with Fathom. We do it the same. We would rather have um, a lot of customers paying us a small amount or a fair amount versus a couple customers who are paying us a lot and then they can, um, I guess unevenly guide development we just want to keep making something where everybody can bet and jack and i talk about this a lot where when we're discussing new features okay what feature would benefit everybody versus what features would just benefit a couple people and we tend to weigh it not always because it doesn't always work out that way but we do tend to weigh it more heavily for features where okay this is something that everybody who pays for us can use 
is that kind of the way that you do uh, development as well? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's very good to not be in a position where you know, if if one customer has something they absolutely need in order to keep using you and it's like, you have to provide this or we will go somewhere else. Being in a position where you can say, yeah, maybe maybe we're not quite the right match for your needs rather than we have to fulfill your needs here because otherwise you know, we can't afford to operate without you as our customer. And I'm involved in a, a CEO's group of similar sized companies here in Melbourne. Um, and some of those companies only have two or three customers. And it's interesting seeing the, the different way they have to behave uh, when when they, they only have a couple of customers and they're, they're bidding for their work. And so it's That's scary. They're, they're very much dependent on getting that one sale. Whereas for us, it's more building something that is valuable to enough different people that we will continue to have a stream of, of customers come in and few of our customers will churn out uh, to use the the, uh, the marketing <laughs> term, I guess the, uh, the, the sales <laughs> term there, churn. It's yeah, such a horrible sure. word for someone who's, who's finding that we don't match their needs anymore. Obviously, we don't want many of those. We want people to, to stay, and mostly they do. Our customer yeah. base is quite sticky. We have a lot of people who are still around from before I started with the company. Wow. You're, you're smashing it. I mean, I did a bit of searching and... I mean, last last article I saw you was something like five hundred thousand MRR, or I don't know if you're higher now. Um, I'm curious with that. How have how's your growth been? So when we've seen things like Cambridge Analytica, we've seen all these privacy problems coming and going every single day. It seems like how are you seeing your growth? Because Fastmail is definitely positioned as a privacy respecting company. Have you? Yeah, it, it's interesting. The news doesn't seem to change our growth that much, either really? either positively or negatively. Um, <laughs> it's it's more a steady growth so there hasn't hasn't been massive spikes um either positive or negative oh good well, in our growth enough. over the years which amazingly even when gmail came out it didn't affect our growth significantly which was i was quite surprised about because they on the usability side um they're they're probably the best other than us um obviously we yeah, care you, a lot you do smash it. You do about really the usability so yeah, I guess getting back to the the privacy side of things, we privacy is a very important part of us, but we're not encryption extremists. That uh, <laughs> there are, there are companies that are encryption to to the exclusion of all else, um, yes. which isn't. I mean, it's not entirely snake oil, but it's it's a very myopic obsession with one part of the full chain of security at the expense of all the rest of the things that are important. And a great example there is malware and, and tracking links. So a few years ago, we switched to proxying all the images in email to be loaded through our data center rather than directly from people's browsers. Nice. Oh, wow. are, I didn't know that. Yeah. I should turn, image, I should turn display images back on. So <laughs> all, all the images proxy through us. Obviously, all your cookies aren't being included with them. Your IP address isn't being included in them. The, the fact wow. that the image has been loaded still happens, but... It goes through our systems, and so a lot of that the attack vectors there aren't present. And there's super secure encrypted email services, la 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 privacy. They unpack the encrypted email in the browser, and it fetches the image directly from the sender's <laughs> site, sending the IP address, user agent, tracking cookies, etc. Amazing. And it's actually worse for users' privacy against the the real world threats that 99.9% of people face. So. 
Okay, yeah, so this is we've we, just we, had this problem. So it's yeah. so funny you mentioned this. We had a, a, a DDoS attack recently. Um, we we blogged about it, and we've had we had to change some things and mm. like keep slightly redacted access logs. We never kept access logs, but our team said to us, you know, you have to keep some kind of access logs, else we can't block the attackers. Um, mm. And so we have got these. There's these trade offs you have to make sometimes protecting users because if you encrypt things to the extreme as you say, much harder to protect users. I mean, I know what you're talking about. You can't actually search your email. That's a usability thing. And, and it's very frustrating. I've uh, used a service like that in the past. Mm. But things like malware, that's very interesting. So the trade-off has to actually be worth it. Or so even you encrypt- losing your email. Um, I have a friend who I, I ran into on the train um, on my way home a year or two ago and was chatting about what I'm doing at Fast Oh, yeah, I signed up for for one of our competitors um, uh-huh. and used them for a little bit. And then I forgot my password and I couldn't get back in. There's no, no way to get my email. It's all encrypted. And yeah, so they're not. Okay. She, she lost everything. See, I don't see them as a huge, because they're really, they're quite radical on the privacy side to the point where things like this can happen. Um, hmm. When we use fast mail for a reason, right? We, we wouldn't ever want something like that to happen. So I, I don't know. I view, I, view, I view it differently. I view it. So fast mail is to me a, a re- really good middle ground because you're not big tech and you're not invading people's privacy, but you're not going to the extreme slash radical side where you run risks like losing our data, our data yeah. which would be awful. It is, from a, a marketing standpoint, it is harder to sell you know, competent middle ground than it is to sell an extreme position <laughs> it, it is it is easy to come up with slogans and and rallying cries for an extreme edge position even if it's not actually good for you yeah that is true because you're you're somewhat of a middle ground i mean mm. but fast mail is really good value i mean i looked at the pricing again i was doing some research the other day the pricing i mean what's the what's the thing there is it a high volume low price game how do you see that with regards to pricing yeah uh, it's, I mean, part of it's what the market will bear, obviously. Sure. Um, we need to be competitive with, with other things that are in the market. And part of it is that we have built a lot of stuff really streamlined. We were a team of three people for quite a few years. And so we had to make everything as automated as possible and make it as, as efficient as possible. And that's something that we've tried to keep as we grow so that we're, we're not being wasteful. And we have, I guess, the knowledge we've built up over a lot of years about how to run things. So we've, we've built our own hardware and we're currently well, um, assessing a new platform for our mail storage. But if you look back over our blog from the past few years, there's a lot of stuff about how we, we've got the best out of what was available on the market. So we, we use data centers, obviously. We're not running our own servers ourselves, but we own the servers and we've placed them in racks in a managed data center nice so yeah so everything's customized to to be as efficient as possible there yeah i mean we definitely relate that our business is is jack and myself um for the last couple years so is how many people are fast mail now i'm just curious about that we're about 40 at the moment oh nice that's amazing yeah spread spread between the melbourne office uh, the philadelphia office not that an office is a thing at the moment. We're all working out of our, <laughs> our own houses. Um, true. Yeah, and then the support team um, was ori- originally someone in India, so a team built up there, and we've now support's now spread between all our locations. There's still the people in India, uh, plus Philadelphia and Melbourne, 
so that we get that round the world coverage and they nice. they hand the work over between each other that's more um, than a third of our company is support yeah and that that makes sense um to run a business with, with a Toronto software business like that. Um, you, you brought up Gmail and obviously they're probably the, the biggest in the game, right? For, for email. Yeah. Do you feel like you compete with Gmail or does Gmail not matter? Or is it somewhere kind of in between? If somebody says, well, I can just get an email account for free. Yeah. Like, uh, for, if free is the only thing that matters to them, um, we know we're not the right choice for them. We yeah. don't want to compete in that space. We don't want to make any offering in that space. If they're willing to trade everything else <laughs> for free, <laughs> if they're willing to, to trade their time and an interface that keeps trying to drag their attention and, and pull them across to other things rather than that, that's primarily focused on their email, oh, fine. It's not important to them. Um, for people where it is important to them, we're competing more against G Suite, which is... Gmail plus all the, the documentation add-ons. That is, an, that is an area that's a little bit trickier to compete directly in because there's nothing that we could plug into our system. It's the choices for online document editing are basically Google, Microsoft, and Apple. <laughs> so <laughs> there's nothing else that's good enough there. And so we know that's we need to be good enough from the privacy standpoint. And the privacy is really important. Uh, people don't necessarily realize that email is very much the center of your online identity because uh, if you lose your password at anything else, where does it go? They send you an email um, and everything's in there. Yeah. If, you, if you travel, your itinerary is in there. If you buy something, your receipt is in your email. So from your email, pretty much the entire picture of your life is there. And if your email is compromised, then that can be leveraged to get into pretty much everything else that you do online. So, yeah, actually one of my, fa that, that reminds me, my favorite feature of Fastmail is that the user account doesn't have to be your email address. Like my user account for my main email address, isn't that email address, yeah. which feels like such a great way to offer security on email because i agree with everything you said email is probably the most important thing it's the thing that holds all of the digital privacy and security you have on the internet together yeah so things like that i think yeah that that makes a ton of sense and that is a yeah that that is a good way to put it yeah it's kind a of quick, a second password that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. A lesson I want to point out, you're very clear about where you're competing. Someone wants free, you say, okay, you're not for us. So people listening, a lot of them are business owners or they're doing startups. That's a really important lesson. Be very clear about where you're competing. And I think it helps us all develop our yeah. businesses when we're clear. And, and it means you're not wasting time trying to get customers that you don't actually want. A question we have as well. So uh, you started in 1999, self-funded, you bought it back. Do you have outside investors that you can talk about? Or is it all 100% owned no, by? it's 100% owned by staff. Oh, um, cool. Currently, well, that's not entirely true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rob Mueller's older brother bought a couple of percent Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. In the purchase, just wanted to be dragged along. So he's, I guess yeah. he's an outside investor in that he's not, uh, not staff. Yeah. But yeah, he only has a couple of percent. And other than that, um, we now have seven staff. Um, a couple of the PO Box original staff also bought in um, and one other person in Melbourne since we, since we bought the company. So that, that was just last year. But yes, we're still now, we're still entirely staff owned. 
Oh, that's amazing. Hey, so how do you market your company? How do you get the word out? I feel like a lo- or most people know about Fastmail, but obviously there are people that don't. What do you do for that? I go on podcasts. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, obviously, also digital advertising. Yeah. Um, it's it's not amazingly successful, but it is a good way to test our message um, and and see what's resonating with people. A lot of it's word of mouth. Most of it is word of mouth. Uh, our market's still fairly technical, so we get a lot of people through developers and and through kind of the technical websites. So Hacker News has obviously been a place where, where we're well known and where we appear. Any discussion about email, we will wind up having some of our happy customers pop in there and, and rave about how awesome we are, nice. which brings new people. So yeah, it's a lot of it's word of mouth, people talking about how much they've enjoyed it. And when once people used it, well, I guess... The other way around is more if you've been using Fastmail for a while and you see other people using their email service, you go, wow, I, I don't realize how good I've got it until I see what other people are doing. So once people have tried us and, and enjoyed us, they gen- generally stay around. Um, for digital, you, you mentioned digital advertising. Do you, because you have a focus on privacy, do you then go after digital advertising that is also privacy focused? Like, do you advertise on Google? We do do some advertising on Google. Um, and we do advertising through Microsoft as well and through DuckDuckGo and Bing. Um, but yeah, we, we try more to, to place messages. Um, where people who who might be interested in us are rather than than broadcast them them widely. It feels it feels kind of I think we were talking to um, the 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 person who runs marketing at DuckDuckGo and they advertise on Google, and we were talking to them about that. It's interesting. Like it's, it's really interesting. Jack and I have had this conversation uh, quite a bit as well about about advertising and should we advertise on, on Google or not. But it does seem interesting that you can use their platform to draw p- the right people away from their platform to your yeah. platform. Uh, we, we don't integrate tightly with their system. Like the, the, the full integration yeah. with Google analytics and Google ads is very much about driving metrics to, to discover, uh, lots of skeezy stuff about people and then use that to, to work out who to sell to. Yeah. Um, so we're deliberately not using all the capabilities of that platform because we disagree with what they do. For um, sure. So yeah. it makes it less efficient for us. Um, but that's, that's obviously the trade-off. If you disagree with the way that works, it's not really fair to then use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, don't, don't go definitely challenged us on that because, you know, if it's for the greater good and you're drawing people away, mm. you know, you're winning. Google won't even notice the money and uh, it compounds. Well, yeah, and you you have to use what exists in the world um, as with everything, right? The extreme positions are, are easy to describe, but they're not useful. That was actually us on access logs, Bon. You know, we don't keep access logs, then we get attacked. We need to have some kind yeah. of access log. So yeah, we need you need to have them battle tested, as Paul as Paul has said to me. And that's uh, well, what yeah, you do is you clean you clean them up at a reasonable time frame, and you use them in ways that they're designed to be used, like <laughs> or that that uh, 
are fair to your customers and fair to yourself. You need to have your own analytics on your platform. Yeah, and we nuke our access logs every day, and we we redact everything. We we make them unusable for tracking people, but we make them useful for us to be able to use them for mitigating security. Yeah, which felt like the the best of the the middle ground. And it was funny too because when we were talking to AW and Jack probably talked to this more, but we were talking to AWS and we were like, "Does it matter that we are redacting?" Um, the actual paths and that from from the access logs and they were like no we like privacy too and so they were fine they were fine with the fact that we were only giving them part of the information but that information was still useful enough and 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 to be able to do the thing that we needed them to do yeah and you need to be able to do things in the email space even more probably than than you've run into um keeping track of where the spam is coming from well, I bet. it's yeah. a it's a yeah. massive thing we have at any one time about a million ip addresses are on our bad <laughs> behavior list i can't even imagine having being an email company dealing with spam i mean we think we have it bad yeah i can't yeah uh, and can't and that imagine. i mean that million ip addresses is ips that have behaved badly to us specifically within the past week like that, wow. that is a rolling as a rolling time frame that we we're tracking okay it's behaved badly quite recently so, well thank you so much for joining us today oh. this has been this has been so much fun to to talk to you and talk to somebody who runs a, a like-minded privacy focused company so we're yeah we're really excited that you took the time out to to chat thank you well thank you it's it's lovely to chat to you and i'm i'm sure we'll catch up again sometime 